0: Shauna, today I did a trail race. It's the first trail race I have done in forever. I signed up with a friend who mentioned it. She didn't ask me to sign up with her. I was just like, sure, that sounds great. I'll do it. Um, At all things considered, it went okay. Um, But what I wanted to mention was that there was, it was a 15 mile, I can't remember in 30 seconds whether I already said that, but there was an aid station and it had the best food on it. Now, all the trail runners on this podcast who listen and ultra runners know that aid stations are the bomb, right? But I was like, tater tots? Yes, please. Watermelon? Yes, please. Yes. Cheese tateria? Absolutely. And <laughs> there were Twizzlers too, but sadly the Twizzlers fell out of my pack and I was not able to chew on oh, <laughs> um, No, So that was very disappointing, but it made me think of the episode that we wanted to record today about eating disordered eating, eating disorders in the context of athleticism. And, Mm -hmm. um, if I hadn't had those tater tots, you know, I definitely would not have made it that last five miles. I mean, I'd have made it, but it would have been a real struggle because they were just, they were great. Um, so, Have you, do you have any, any athletic eating stories similarly?
1: Oh my goodness. Yes. Let me, uh, I'll tell all of our listeners about my ridiculous picture of my very first marathon in Miami. All right. So let's talk about it.
0: I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to
1: disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last.
0: Create a little club. Do something. Just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things.
1: Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support
0: each other, but we have to decide that we're going to choose solidarity and act on it. The outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit. Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact.
1: Want to get more out of your rides this fall? Any old device can track distance, time, and pace, but how about the ability to see upcoming hills or points of interest along your route? The Hammerhead Karoo 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential on every ride.
0: For a limited time, our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use promo code unfazed at the checkout to get yours today. I just
1: think it's so cool that we have our own promo code, right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. The Power 2's touchscreen display is intuitive, responsive, and in full color, so your navigation experience is more like a smartphone than a GPS device. You'll see your data more clearly than ever. Even in rugged conditions, since the screen
0: is scratch resistant with anti glare and water droplet rejection. And I will say, Shauna, that touchscreen is really responsive when I've used it. So I've been pretty oh, awesome. Hammerhead's Caro 2 was named Bicycling Magazine Editor's Choice in GPS Cycling Computers for the past two years and continues to collect accolades throughout the sport.
1: This is an exclusive, limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code UNFASED. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Cairo 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use promo code Unfazed today.
0: Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I love the meal recommendations that come with the analysis. It prompted me to add salmon into my meal rotations, and I am loving it. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty, and then use the code feisty at checkout.
1: So, Lisa, I made the mistake of training for my very first marathon in the winter here in Maryland, DC area. And then thought I was gonna be okay in what? Late January, early February in Miami for a full marathon. Yeah, running in 30 something and then the race being in 70 something was a huge change. Um, but, you know, I try to keep really good fueling, and I, I always have the, the running joke that I usually gain weight when it comes to marathons because I'm literally eating the entire time. And so I have lots of photos, but my favorite one, I'll have to dig it up and see if I can find it. There's one where I was at this aid station at probably around mile 10, 12. <laughs> I have a coat hand in one hand. And my other hand is full of Twizzlers and I'm just running along like just this happy fat kid that's just running along like you, you would never know that I'm in a marathon in the moment if you weren't looking at like what I'm wearing at the time, because I'm just this happy go lucky person with two hands full of crap right.
0: <laughs> that's and-
1: fantastic just but i felt so good after that coke mm-hmm, that coke mm-hmm. was nice and icy and the twizzler hit the spot you know i just wanted something to chew on my mouth was getting dry that type of thing and you know i'm usually one that overfuels if you will but i know that's not the case for everyone and you know when it comes to training we're talking about the actual race day but when it comes to training that's where it gets really precarious because some of us walk into training with some already existing uh, feelings, you know, about our bodies to begin with, whether we're our, you know, are we at race weight, for example, or are we at chill weight? What weight are we at at the moment? Um, And so we carry all that in. And I think that really does affect how we fuel while we train for certain things. But, you know, it's, I don't want to make it seem as if all women think the same way, but there are some commonalities, and there's some things that are exacerbated under mm-hmm, the umbrella mm-hmm. of women. And so yeah. I really think it deserves a really good conversation,
0: yeah, I agree. And I think that when we we, the royal we, talk about mm-hmm. uh, underfueling, eating disorders, disordered eating, I think there is a tendency to make assumptions about what that means right and thinking about in particularly in the context of athletics or endurance sport is that to the underfueling is related to the need to lose weight um mm-hmm. or that even if we don't talk about underfueling but we talk about disordered eating it's in service of losing weight and i think mm-hmm. um that we we need to scratch at that a little bit because while that is true for some women i think that is perhaps primarily a white woman's experience and that even mm-hmm. if we think about underfueling if we think about disordered eating in the context mm-hmm. of endurance sport and we don't name that there's some inherent kind of white narratives happening there, mm-hmm. then we are going to exclude a significant portion of the endurance sport community in mm-hmm. understanding this issue. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, you know, th- that's the thing though, when, you know, when I think about this language around fueling, for example, or um, disordered eating and so forth, I realize that there's a lot of people that are trying to get, for example, down to a particular weight. And there's also a subsegment of people that are trying to get up to a certain weight or a certain subset of people who are indeed never hungry. Like, for example, my my training partner, I'm like, I don't know how you're going to do this because I am over here with damn near grocery bags on the back of my bike because I'm so hungry all the time and, you know, she might have a, you know, some peanut butter crackers at the beginning of a 50 mile ride and be okay. I'm like, what? And so, you know, I have certain people that are never hungry on a ride or, or on a run, what have you. And, you know, I think what's unfortunate is that the assumption is that we're all going in the same direction, which is lose, 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 skinny, 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 small, 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 you know, fit the smallest kit you can find when, that's not the case for a lot of people. And that's not the nutritional needs for a lot of people like, you know, people that have low blood pressure or people that have all these other things to consider that I just don't want to assume that when we're talking about fuel and disordered eating, that we're talking in one direction We're we're talking right. multidimensionally, if you will. Yeah. Um, when it comes to this. And we, we may even be uh, as athletes, we're doing this, I think, but also even when it comes to coaching, I think we're coaching in a direction too. Like, are we focusing on people who are under fueling versus over fueling? Are we focusing on people who you think, oh, well, they need to lose some weight and then they'll be faster. Uh, No, I know people Mm -hmm. who their scale says one thing that you would not consider and they're fast as lightning. So You know, some of those preconceived notions that we're carrying into coaching, I think all of that is affecting how women view their bodies and then slice and dice it by women of other identities.
0: Yeah. And I think um, when I just, I think this is such an important point that you're making because this body type that we assume women desire, women as a group, a large group desire is A body type that is defined by whiteness. And it's defined in particular by the white male gaze, right? So like, I need to look a certain way because of the ways in which society then responds to me, but it's not society broadly per se, it is the white male gaze, or it is kind of society's expectations, which is an extension of that, right? But that is not broadly applicable to multiple communities whether we're talking race ethnicity culture nationality right that like that it's going to be different and so if we're concerned kind of singularly with um eating disorders disordered eating and under fueling as it relates to the to weight loss then we're we're missing as coaches we're missing as clinicians we're missing as friends as family members really important pieces, I think, or, or people really, really important people in our lives who might be struggling, but their disordered eating and perhaps eating disorder has not, um, does not fit that kind of white prototype of what it means to have an eating disorder. Right. Um, I mean, right. anorexia right. is, anorexia is the probably most quote unquote famous eating disorder. Um and I, you know, neither Sean nor I are experts in this at all. So we're kind of trying mm-hmm. to approach it from a, a cultural, um, a cultural critique, I suppose. But yeah, when I think yeah. about anorexia, as I have been taught about it and understood it, I, I can think of white women, right, like who have been kind of elevated in the culture as having experienced that. Mm-hmm. But it's only white women that I can point to right? Oh, really? Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and I think, and that's partly because stories of women of color aren't told as often, but there's also this other piece that's happening, right? That perhaps disordered mm-hmm. eating isn't about thinness in different communities. And we make assumptions kind of broadly about that.
1: Absolutely. Well, you know, and that's the thing is, you know, depending on the community that you're in, you know, there, there are, for example, very athletic women that i know where they may have been dating someone for example who said i don't want you to get too thin you know i don't want you to lose your curvy body i don't want you to lose these particular aspects of your body and so in that way it was uh disordered in a different way where yeah i might you know fuel properly during training etc but you know, I'm still going to have that huge Sunday dinner with my family uh, because I know that they're going to have a critique if I don't eat or if I don't spend time sitting around the table. Here in Maryland, if you don't sit around the table cracking crabs, then, you know, you're not with the cool kids or what have you. And so it's a social bonding cultural issue um, that the disordered eating goes in a completely different direction based on the expectations of the culture. So for example. know, Lisa, if you were to come to Sunday dinner to someone's home that was a person of color, whether they were Black or Latinx, and you did not eat a meal there, they would be personally offended that you didn't eat there. And that then changes the dynamics of your relationships. So what does it mean to eat super light, super light, super light all week, try to train, and then you know that you're going to your, you know, your, your parents' house, your mom, your, your in-laws, whomever that expect you to eat based mm-hmm. on your mm-hmm. culture. And yeah. you're trying to even that out. Like, of course, disordered eating can go in a different direction. So, but, but again, yeah. that's not an assumption of white women that they aren't eating enough. You know, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It, it's not the assumption of the culture Um, that, oh, we're just going to hang around and sit around and eat because that's what we do to bond and catch up on the week and our experiences. And, um, you know, again, Lisa, not being experts on this topic, but what I do know is there's enough research out there that talks about the racial battle fatigue of people of color and how they self-medicate with food. Healthy or not, self-medicate with food. So what does that mean? When, Because just because you're an athlete, that doesn't mean that you leave your race or ethnicity behind. Yes, you're training for what have you, you're training for that race, etc. But you still come from a particular culture Mm -hmm, that expects mm -hmm. you to build, maintain, keep relationship through a certain type of food and eating and grazing and all these things. So it plays a part.
0: Yeah. And you're just making me think around. So there are these body type or body expectations that fall particularly heavily on women identified folks, right? That isn't to say um, that folks mm-hmm. who identify it as men um, and other gender identities don't have those, 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 expectations, albeit they probably land slightly differently. But mm-hmm. I think there are many, mm-hmm. many women um, of all racial identities who can identify or point to pressure around body type but the piece is that when we talk about disordered eating and underfuel- and the under fueling, right, mm-hmm. we're, we're only mm-hmm. talking about one story, like a story that's, right. that's been defined by whiteness over time. And so actually, well, I'm even thinking about the piece you just articulated around relationships and eating and going to a friend's house. I mean, I have a friend who identifies as Italian, so she's racially white, but ethnically Italian and she would talk about when she was mm-hmm. younger, you know, she'd go to her grandparents' house and they would literally, you know, put ZD and other kind of like cheese and meatballs and stuff on the table mm-hmm. that was um, <laughs> you know, really important yeah. oh. food in their culture, and they would be like, Keep eating, keep eating, you're too skinny. Keep it's eating, right. keep eating, right? And it would be offensive of her to mm-hmm. not continue eating. Um That's and That's so right. You you know, so I think that um we have yeah. to be we do have to be concerned about underfueling and the associated uh physical responses to that. And there's a um an issue mm-hmm. red red s reds. I'm not exactly sure how it's said, but that's real, right? So all mm-hmm. this stuff is real and but if we only think about it in that one way, then Who, who are we missing? And you would, um, you dug up a really cool study from 2006, right, Shauna, that talked about um, even identification of disordered eating and eating disorders within um, kind of multiracial communities. Well, and,
1: you know, I'm, I'm trying to still process the study because, again, Lisa, not having a lot of expertise in this area, you know, the study, it's a 2006 study, so I'd be interested, Lisa, if we can dig up something even more recent. But um, with this particular study, um, they used identical case studies of white, Latinx, and Black women. So let's say they all seem to have the same symptoms, the same issues, et cetera. The only difference in the case studies was that one was white, one was Latinx, and one was a black woman. And the clinicians that were asked to review the case studies depicted things differently based on race. So the clinicians saw, uh, 44% of clinicians saw the eating patterns in the white case study as problematic. 41% identified eating patterns, the very same eating patterns in Latinx women problematic. And look how it drops for black women. The clinicians saw them as, uh, for black women, 17% of clinicians saw the eating patterns as problematic and were less likely to recommend professional help. Lisa, I don't know very much about the medical community, but what I do know about the medical community is that there is a lot- of historical medical apartheid against these particular groups, Black and Latinx. We have a long timeline of history going back to, of course, childbirth, which I still believe is relevant even today, around the under-diagnosis and under-treatment of Black women and their pain and their um, uh, all of their symptoms. And so given this Yes, mad as hell, but yet not surprised at the very same time because it is completely aligned with the experiences of black women in health communities and Latinx women in health communities mm-hmm. completely aligned with that. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that it, it's so interesting. It's like the the white women case studies are the best of the worst in this situation. like all of us are treated. Um, are undertreated when it comes to these clinicians, but look how much of a difference it is between the 44, 41 and 17 and how it aligns with history. But it, we we can't act like this yeah. isn't connected. It's all systemically connected. Um, mm-hmm. And I think what's really important too, and I would love to see what the the Latinx studies say about it, um, is that the the myth, if you will, that I guess, because black women's bodies are perceived in a certain way that black women don't have eating disorders. In fact, they do. So it's a myth. If anyone tells you that black women don't um, and how those eating disorders are directly connected to hello, ding, 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 racism, stress, yeah, trauma, poverty. You know, when Lisa and I were first kind of thinking about this topic, no, I'm not a nutritionist or anything of the sort. But what I do know is that fuel, for me, in my mind, fuel connects directly to food. Food correct, connects directly to what I consider is socioeconomic status, money. Can you afford it? Can you not afford it? And Lisa, I know I'm biased in this particular area, but you know, I have two growing boys that are eight and 11 and going to the grocery store and buying 200 bucks worth of food. Just to get us through a week, a week. Yeah, I'm imagining and I'm grateful, overwhelmingly grateful that I'm now at a place where I go by what we want and what we need. And I don't have to necessarily be nitpicky about splitting pennies. However, that is not reality for most people. It was not my reality for many, many years. What do I need to keep so I can put this back or, or I need to put that back because I want this? Well, it's not cheap. It's not cheap. And that's not an implication on people's decisions. It's an implication on food systems in this yes, country, yes. but that's another pod for another yeah. day. So I'll stop right there, but <laughs> it's all connected Lisa. We we know it's connected. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I, but so that's just such a great point, right? Cause we, I think are making maybe um, many of us are operating from the assumption that when someone is under fueling for their training load, it is about, their body image, right? Mm -hmm. Um, um, Mm -hmm. Not entirely, at least a large part of it is about their body image, but it may not be right. And so as a coach, it isn't going to just be about helping them understand or think about kind of those cultural narratives around what it means to be quote, unquote" fit or what it means to look a certain way. There could be a financial piece Mm -hmm. to it, I mean, particularly Absolutely. now with inflation, right? And I just, I think that's such an important piece to call out that if mm. we just go to the, oh, you want, you're not eating because you want to lose weight, right? Which I think I have said this now like six times already is is very much about uh, the, the white male gaze and is very kind yeah. of representative yep. of white women and girls, but we don't think about, well, what could the other reasons be for underfueling? And then then we are doing our athletes a disservice, right? A massive disservice.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. What what are the other reasons? So, you know, for example, (laughs) I was just looking at something. I'll have to find that infographic, but it was talking about each food type and how much by percentage it's gone up um, even over the last year. And so, you know, all of that plays a part, especially if you have dependents, especially if you have other people that you care about in your life that you have to take care of, you know, all of that plays a part in what you can afford to spend. So, for example, you know, when I see people that get some of those, um, you know, some of the fuel, like the fueling mixes and so forth, things like that, you know, part of me is like, yeah, I love that they produce results, but then I'm also thinking how much did that cost and can be. Uh, it can the budget conscious athlete, um, afford that, you know, because I think that's where we kind of, I've noticed that sometimes we start with the, we, especially in triathlon, we start with the high end, everything like high end, everything, go get a $10,000 bike to do your first sprint. If y'all to get the hell out of here with that bullshit. No, you don't need to do that. There, there is a budget conscious way, uh, or, or port point of entry into the sport, but it's almost like we treat all of it as, oh, well, you got to have, you know, whatever rocket fuel to make sure that you can actually finish this race. Get out of here. You don't, you don't. Um, But I think we start there and we make the assumptions that, oh, they're not eating, you know, they're not getting the rocket fuel because they don't want to gain weight possibly while they're training or what have you. Maybe they're like, no, I have a set budget and I need to stick to that budget or I have dependents or whomever. Um, and if it comes between my dependents getting what they need and me getting some rocket fuel that really is a relative luxury for me, I'm gonna stick with my peanut butter and crackers on this bike. Thank you very much. And I'm okay with that. So, you know, I, I think you're right though. The, the assumptions are just that, making an ass of you and me. Okay, no assumptions, y'all. Don't make the assumptions because we're bound to be wrong. <laughs>
0: Yeah. It comes to this. And, and we don't talk a lot about youth on this podcast, but young girls, right? Like, so the same applies yes. there. You know, you've also got a whole lot of pressure that's happening in school around body image, presume, you know, I would imagine. I certainly can attest to that. Um, but also they're going home to families who may not have a lot of, yeah, extra income to be spending on an increased set of groceries to accommodate their increased run training, right? If they're running track or right. something or whatever and you know if so if you coach youth i think that's an important thing to understand um in addition to those complicated cultural narratives around body type
1: yeah
0: so yeah you know i just i i'm not exactly sure what advice we're giving everyone here other than to question the assumptions that you're making mm. about mm-hmm. what it means to be to have a, dis- to, to have disordered eating that yeah, might lead yes, to an yes. eating disorder. Cause that was something that Shona and I learned as well is I was under the impression disordered eating and eating disorders were one and the same in that the shift mm, in language mm-hmm. from eating disorder to disordered eating was more inclusive and less stigmatizing. But from what oh we can understand is that disordered eating is on the trajectory towards an eating disorder. So yeah, kind of inter- right. intervening, with an athlete, with a friend, with a family member at the disordered eating stage could prevent them mm-hmm. from developing an eating disorder. Is that how you yes. understood it too, Shauna? Yeah, that's how
1: I understood it. it is that it's a, it's a continuum of course. And you know, it starts with that intuitive eating piece. And Lisa, again, not knowing very much about this topic, it very much reminds me of the little bit I've read on mindful eating. So eating for your nutrition. Eating something that brings you pleasure or joy, of course, um, but also being aware of yourself. So, being aware of when you're actually hungry versus not. Like I Look, th- this article must have uh, heard me say the trade today, son. Eat when you're hungry, not when you're bored. <laughs> I just said that to him this morning. Um, but being aware of your hunger and being aware of when you're satisfied completely. You know, all of these things are kind of bringing awareness to your body. But then as you kind of move along this trajectory to this disordered eating piece where you don't pay attention to your body and you ignore when you're really hungry or when you're really full, you know, again, I think what's so interesting about the whole uh, trajectory from intuitive eating to disordered eating to eating disorders is the major incorrect assumption that all of this only applies to people who are unhappy with a body that's not small enough when that's not the case. right? An individual may be unhappy with their body because it's not heavy enough. They may be extremely thin um, or Someone who doesn't feel that they have curves in the places that where they want them or, you know, whatever, um, whatever perception they have of their body, they're unhappy with. And therefore, they're making some decisions about their eating that they think will affect that in the way that they want. And, you know, I agree with you, Lisa. We have to kind of break the assumption that everyone wants to be smaller than what they are. Uh, no, that's a white male gaze situation because I have other friends who also train with me and their uh significant others are like okay honey don't 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 run too much because I don't want you to lose too much weight because I like your curves and I like how you look and I appreciate your body and what you what you are and who you are. So yeah, I think the assumption that the uh eating is only going one way, the fueling is only going one way when it can be going mm-hmm. lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. lots of different ways. So yeah. Yeah. I think we, as uh, athletes need to pay attention to each other. Um, we, as coaches need to pay attention to folks. And I think um, not asking Lisa, you're, you're the one that writes much better questions than I on this. Um, not writing the loaded question to say, Oh, well, you know, I just, you're, you're not eating because you're trying to lose weight or just simply asking the open-ended question. How's your fuel? And and let them, let them respond from there.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And providing education. So how's your fuel? So when you're expending this many calories, right. Then Mm -hmm. you should be thinking about taking in this many calories because otherwise you'll feel tired. Um, Yeah. So definitely approaching it with an open mind. That's such a great usable, Mm -hmm. tangible, practical thing to offer Shauna around for coaches, especially. And then, um, it isn't always about body. It isn't always about thin body image, right? Absolutely. Um, and, absolutely, and and finances could be a piece here and you need to consider that.
1: Mm, mm-hmm.
0: So Lisa, I think we
1: have, uh, <laughs> we have beat our lack of knowledge around disordered eating and eating disorders uh, to a pulp. So I think now it's time for our hell yeah and our hell not agreed hell yeah hell no so look i was very saddened to read about a incredible civil rights educator leader activist in the boston area um we know that the boston area has its major challenges when it comes to race um but yeah over the weekend unfortunately a civil rights and educational leader, Gene McGuire, was stabbed multiple times in Boston Park. OK. And what's sad about this, uh, all of it is sad. Uh, this person is 91 years old. Uh, Boston police are trying to find a suspect. And and the assumption is the person uh, that uh, stabbed her multiple times probably um does have their own injuries as well. So um, the suspect may have some injuries that resulted from the attack itself. But, you know, I don't know if it if it wasn't for her dog with her, I'm not quite sure what would have happened uh, because her dog really fought to protect her, which is wonderful. But I'm like, come on now, this is this is ridiculous. Um, Part of me is always suspect when something like this happens to someone who is so deep in the social justice Mm -hmm. and civil rights movement. Um, And so, yeah, it just makes me very sad. I'm grateful that um, she survived and is recuperating, but she's 91, Lisa. I mean, the recovery is not going to be the same. And so I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm very saddened about it. I'm grateful that she is uh, making it. I'm not going to say she's okay yet, but I'm really concerned about this. And I cannot say that um, as a person of color and also as a person that does this work, I cannot say that I haven't
0: mm-hmm. thought
1: about or mm-hmm. been concerned about yeah. some type of something happening like this to myself and other people who do this work. So big old
0: hell nah,
1: and I, I pray that they find the the suspect, of course. Mm-hmm. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Well, our hell not hell yeah this week is that Allison Desir, who is the founder of Harlem Run and Run for All Women, mm. and she's also the co-chair of Running Industry Diversity Coalition, she has written a memoir, Running While Black, and that is due to be released October 18th. And um, she is a really important figure in the running community and talks a lot about her experiences running while black. And you mentioned um, Mm -hmm. about, you know, being involved in social justice and um, in the example you gave walking, walking their dog. And you've talked a lot about what it means to run while black in your community and the concerns Mm -hmm. around that. And, um, you know, and that risk that you just articulated, you know, kind of ups the ante around what it means to be outside alone um, but also doing advocacy within the running community. And, her, you know, she had, yes. she was interviewed by Runner's World and she talks about being disruptive and saying the mm. thing that needs to be said is like training for a marathon or lifting weights. It's not that it gets easier, but you get stronger. So mm-hmm. she is encouraging all of us to speak up and disrupt, you know, common narratives, which hopefully Shona and I did today around disordered eating and eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And, um, but there's mm-hmm. a risk, there's a risk that comes with that particularly for women women of color folks with disabilities trans people who are active in mm-hmm. the athletic community and also call it out right
1: mhm mhm yeah absolutely well you know i so appreciate you know her perspective on things because you know when i think about you know these stories about black people running people i know who run regularly And just the considerations, again, you know, kind of going back to Lisa, we talked about this, uh, Lily Zhang on her, uh, LinkedIn, um, account, this was last week, uh, posted about, um, rather than coming from a deficit model, come from a, um, a positive affirming model of let's not talk about what, uh, what black people, um, have to sacrifice in order to run, et cetera, et cetera, but more so reminding white people of what they don't have to consider as they run. So, right, right. you know, not, you don't have to necessarily consider all the time what neighborhood you're in, or do you really think about it when you leave the house that you just hit the button on your watch and start running? Or do you think about, oh, well, I do carry my um my backpack or you know my camelback because I have a weapon there or whatever it may be do you think about that or I'm going to turn left and not turn right because I know down the right area it is not that many people who look like me or I'm going to the left because I saw a whole lot of Black Lives Matter signs and and flags and pride flags so I feel more comfortable going to the left and the right all of these considerations that you don't have to make when you exercise or train that people do. And so I'm so glad that this book was written and I have to be honest with you, Lisa, this, this might be one of those books that I buy and never read um, simply because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to support it, but I also live it every day. Yeah, um, And yeah. so I don't want to re-traumatize myself because I think that's a book for non-Black people that need to process what it really Mm -hmm, means mm -hmm. to not have to live and train and race in this way. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, or I'll buy it for a bunch of other people that I want to read it um, that don't always have to consider this lens, but it sounds amazing. The jacket is incredible. I love Mm -hmm.
0: it. Yeah. So go buy it people.
1: Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs.
0: Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA. And when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account.
1: Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water.
0: It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. It's race season in the Northern Hemisphere, and that means hard races, hard training sessions, and sore muscles are guaranteed. Luckily, the new Muscle & Mind Soak from TryHard hard effectively reduces muscle soreness while soothing dry and cracked skin. It provides an anti-stress remedy to fully relax and maximize recovery, leading to higher performance. The Epsom Dead Sea salts in the Muscle & Mind Soak encourage the absorption of magnesium into the body to reduce muscle cramps, swelling, and joint tightness. It will also help you wind down and relax. So go ahead and use code STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. That's STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at and find us on social media at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks.
1: See you next time.